Welcome back to the ACE Hive podcast. I'm Ralph Montague, director at ArcDocs and co-founder of the AEC Hive. We're here to talk about innovation in architecture, engineering, and construction. I'm joined by my fellow co-founder, John Egan. John, do you want to say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. John Egan. I'm CEO at BIM Launcher and co-founder at AEC Hive. I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. We're really excited today to be joined by Pia Fenter from BIM Initiative. Pia is a digital information manager and BIM consultant. I've been following Pia's work for many years, and we had the great opportunity to meet Pia in person last year at the AEC Hive Swarm. Pia, you're very welcome. Do you want to give everybody a bit of an introduction to yourself, a bit of your background, and then we can get talking about innovation? Certainly. Thanks very much for the invite. Uh, my name is Pia Fenter. I'm from Durban, South Africa, originally. And uh, this is probably the worst time of the year because of winter. I'd rather be surfing in Durban. I'm a registered architect. I've been practicing for a long, long time. But a very keen user of Revit. The first package I bought was in 2003. And uh, it's been a journey. It's been an exciting journey running my own practice, uh, engaging in South Africa with Moderna, one of the resellers in, in South Africa, and providing them with consulting support. When I came over to the UK, it's been even better, I think, in terms of the standards and, and the BIM initiatives that we have. The UK has been a, a great leader in, in the market right across the world. I've had the opportunity, as you said, Ralph, of making contact with you and ArcDocs, and it's, it's been really good, some of the initiatives that we, that you've engaged with. Here we are, and I think that we're in we're on the cusp of an of a absolute slide into the kind of technologies and inventiveness that we're starting to see. So I, I really get excited about that. Thanks. That's great and welcome. Yeah, so we, I mean, we're talking about innovation and I suppose one of the reasons we started AEC Hive is because we, I suppose we generally felt that innovation was happening in small pockets, maybe at a very project level. You know, it wasn't being disseminated, you know, across teams or even across the industry, the general investment in innovation in the AEC sector is very low. You know, obviously, companies are working on tight margins and, and everything. Um, what's your general feeling yourself? Do you feel AEC is a very innovative sector or is it pockets of innovation? I think, Ralph, we, we've, we've got a number of really great opportunities that are starting to become evident. And there, there's groups of people that are are forming associations, and I, I look at the UK BIM Alliance, uh, I look at Centre for Digital uh, Built Britain and NBS, and all of these are, are individual pockets, as, as you've just said, but there's a certain amount that's taking place. I, I look at Bond Bryan, and the kind of, of things that they publish start saying to you, wow, they really are getting right down into what I call the nitty-gritty of things, and they're actually looking at solid ways of getting better performance out of things. But I do, I think we, we, we have the early integrators and the low, slow people. We, we definitely have that spread of, of uh, different engagements. And the import behind that is that we're in a world where we can communicate freely across the world. And you know some of the uh, communications we've had with people in Australia and around the rest of the world. That is something that I think is really where the real uh, development and the innovation is starting to take place, is talking to people from diverse backgrounds, from diverse focuses and attentions to where we are right now. I think that that is really great. That's where the opportunity lies. Particularly recently, I mean, the last nine months has really opened up the world in terms of communications and communication technologies and people, even though those technologies have been around for a number of years, people have suddenly kind of forced into to using these communication technologies and you know, having different conversations. It's been amazing. I, th I think what's really nice about COVID, and, and there's not many things that are nice about it, but I think the really nice part is that it's broken down a couple of silos of resistance is that you you can't be outside the office. You can't be separate. But I think that there once once again, the technologies that enable us to do a number of things are also providing us with another set of, of new dimensions. Some of them, it's not very comfortable. I promise you, I, I do get some some sense of, of discomfort. But in particular, visualization and VR, 
which are two areas that I've, I've currently engaged quite extensively, and in particular with trade names or whatever, but I, I, I purchased a package, Iris VR, and it's absolutely incredible when I can talk to somebody and take them around a building and they're on the other side of the world and we can sit and discuss and look at things which previously would have been packaging a pile of drawings up, bundling them, putting them in a courier, sending them off or sending them PDFs and then trying to discuss by virtue of a grid reference where we were. So I think that our communication capabilities are really starting to take off. I think that even Microsoft Teams like we're using right now is just another example of how we've we've broken down certain resistances and we actually engage in it that, that much more frequent, frequently and, and freely. And I think the whole 3D environment, you know, opens up an understanding to so many more, more people because, you know, reading 2D drawings uh, was really something that you had to be trained to do you know, as an architect or an engineer or a contractor. It's, it's not a skill that everybody just picked up um, automatically <laughs> and you know, and a lot of people looking at 2d drawings would would have uh, you know huge amounts of misunderstanding but of course everybody understands the 3d world like we all live in the 3d world we've grown up in the 3d world you don't have to train anybody to understand things in 3d and what was once almost impossible to do create these virtual environments or very expensive and very time consuming to do is just becoming really easy to do and very quick to do. And you know, in terms of communication, that's opening up an understanding to so many more people. It's, it's fascinating to, to watch. You spoke about an example earlier about just the time it takes and used to take to create these environments <laughs> uh, and how innovation has occurred. Maybe that might be a good example to tell the, the audience because it's what's changed over the last 10 years. Yeah, I think uh, just a quick background behind it is that I played water polo for 17 years. And the the amazing part is that we grew up at a swimming pool and we used to thrash up and down the pool. And this exercise was, in fact, a concept for a swimming center outside of Durban. And uh, the, the current present coach, Graham Hill, was was a schoolmate of mine. And we sat down and put a concept together. And in 2005, the frightening part was a, a big Revit model was 20 megabytes in size. And the PCs used to take 15 minutes to load that file. And I mean, nowadays, that's ridiculously small. But beyond that was the visualization was we were trying to put some concept stuff together. And a single render would take 30 hours. And, of course, the way Murphy works, and I know it's tragic with you guys being that side of the island but and the other side of the pond, but Murphy had a, had a hand in every single time. So it was 29 hours and 32 minutes, and guess what? The system would fall over, and you'd have to start all over again. And uh, so what I did with this, this was an exercise in review, and, and that ties in with something that I look at in terms of innovation. We just don't do enough review of our projects after the fact. But coming back to this, what it is, is that I decided to take what I have now, a laptop, and a Lenovo. It does a, a reasonably quick thing. But the graphics and the engines have changed. So this file is now 130 odd megs instead of the original five and a half on SketchUp. But to do a panoramic or a 4K render is taking 90 seconds because of the technology that's there. And what that means is that the innovation is not just that you're doing pretty pictures, but you're able to use use that for quality control. You're able to communicate between clients and, your, and, and the architect or designer in incredibly short times. So it's shortening the, the kind of thing where you get a f feedback from somebody. And that was it's, it's been a great exercise. So publish that out. Yeah. But the engine to do that, I'm using Enscape. And it, it's one of those things that you just say, why couldn't I have had this earlier? I mean, that's incredible. That's 15 years, basically, between those those two examples, which obviously sounds like a, a lot of time <laughs> to some people. But uh, yeah, but it's also an incredibly for what's happened in that period has been amazing. So I suppose that is an important point to 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 look back and consider what has actually changed, uh, and not 
not be down and out mm. all the time about the innovation. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think I think part of our innovation developments are that some of in some cases our expectations are also growing at a phenomenal rate as well, and we're starting to see that the demand for something to be push a button and get a result. Let me run Dynamo and it'll sort it all out. And that all has a place to play. But the one thing about it, it's got to be based on solid, solid decisions, solid, solid standards, etc. And that's something I'm, I'm very passionate about is because it just communicates things so much more succinctly. Just going to say that the one thing that hasn't disappeared is files and file formats and, and the challenges around interoperability there. I'm just wondering, compared to 15 years ago, obviously, IFC, I suppose, came out in what, 90, 94, 97, something like that. I'm wondering, 15 years ago, what was the status of IFC and interoperability and have the changes that you've seen in the technologies around inter or to enable interoperability have such a, a, I suppose, as profound of an impact on your working life as an architect compared to that of, uh, let's say, the re the increase in speed in rendering engines and the use of rendering engines for, uh, I suppose, new aspects of your workflow and integrating um, new tools and, and in, I suppose, new processes into your workflow. John, I, I think one of one of the most <clears throat> salutary parts of, of the development is that we, we didn't typically get involved in IFC simply because the output, the deliverable of what you what you produced was 2D paper. So that kind of interaction was basically, you know, we're now starting to talk about a lot more digital interaction. But early, early on, I mean, even a, a plot used to take hours because it was only eight pens. You know, it wasn't like putting it into a photocopy machine or a, a laser printer and out it popped. You know, it used to be a planned exercise. So I think the inter-exchange of, of information like the DWG format, as as long as that's been running, was an absolute pain, you know, to send information via uh, a DWG ended up with corruption at all times. You know, there was always a niggle. There, there were little steps that you had to pick up. I think that the, the kind of engagement that we're starting to see now is that the IFC format, as one example, is, is that much more solid and it, it's becoming easier. But interoperability didn't exist from that time back, particularly with Revit and, and SketchUp. I mean, it has developed considerably as, as time has gone. It's interesting. I, I had a, well, I was party to a conversation earlier where a certain large rail body in the UK who was using digital technologies for signaling on their rail lines resulted in a, in a ma in, in a huge accident in Croydon um, a couple of years ago, and the the impact was that they stripped away all digitization and they went back to paper-based processes. And it seems that you know that that pattern that you had 15 years ago, where you said right interoperability isn't a thing because of your headaches with DWG and um, I suppose thus your um, your turn to paper to exchange information that really hasn't it hasn't gone away it seems like you know this seems to be an inherent distrust in technology and i know that from my perspective from working in a, a large engineering company uh, just after i finished university um you know i was looking at the problem of exchanging ifc and i suppose and quite another uh, Another conference that I was at during the week was the Building Smart Summit. And one of the big challenges that they're having is around the interfaces for users with using interoperability technology, i.e. in this case, IFC. And what they were saying was that vendors were, you know, they could only agree that they could in their import or export process, they would call it IFC two, two by three. But anything beyond that, uh, they deemed the responsibility of 
the vendor and the vendor is seeing that as their competitive advantage, if you like. I'm wondering, do you agree with that or do you uh, like, do you think that we as humans in, in the way that we consider technology as part of our workflows and processes have changed or is there any trends that you've seen, you've seen or identified there? Okay. So I, I, I do think one of the, one of the key initiators of any change is the contract that we have when we do construction. And one of those things is that unless the contracts actually change to address the digitization of that, we will still remain with a hard copy requirement. And I'm going to use the term, it's a comfort zone, is that when I've got a hard copy of something, I've got something physical, I have a sort of surety that I've received something. And anything that's digital, if we've populated databases and tables and parameters and what have you, that's a bit sort of transient. It's, it's something that the average person doesn't see. A while back, I, I, I considered this, that if there was one single world standard, and just for for purpose sake, let's say the ISO 19650, and everybody in the world embraced that standard. And I actually tried to the kind of benefits that would extrapolate across the entire industry, all sectors, stakeholders, and all members in the supply chain. And it, it's enormous. But it's exactly this, that there's a competitive advantage to intellectual property. There's this things. Uh, we've got certain organizations, and I won't give names specifically, but manufacturers, if they provided a finished container of information that I can simply use, they remain the owner. And this is also part of that, I think, is the, is the kind of relationships between an owner and a beneficiary of the data and the geometry that, that are out there, is that it's a very complex world to try and break down some of those silos, because who's actually going to give what content? And I think that's where, you know, when we start structuring things with the BIM execution plans and, and certain pieces of software that enables that kind of thing, is it starts really working. It really starts working well. And I think our innovations will come back to the, the nature of that format. And if I could put it in a container and say, I don't care whether you call it IFC, I don't care what it is, what it looks like. But if just like I pick up my iPhone, I can patch into something, I push a button, and because it's so standardized, it's highly constrained, I get exactly what I want because it is so dependable. And that's what we're actually, what I think the innovation should be looking at is providing us with something that is absolutely planned and dependable. And it'll give us much better capabilities within the whole sector. So the innovations won't just be digital and technology. They will be rethinking the process, as you said there, you know, like these old, these sort of traditional processes that were set up really because it took so long to produce all this documentation. So it had to be done in certain stages, in certain ways. You know, that those processes are still in place, uh, even though the, the way the information is produced is, has changed dramatically. Yeah. I, th I, I think Ralph, the, the, the story regularly should be that the first kickoff on any single in terms of BIM, is to ask, is that process the right process to follow? And I'm not saying that we change everything. I'm saying we just review it and say, what could we do that might improve that? And if we engage, and this is the thing about the innovation, is we need to engage everybody who's involved in that, the design and the production side, because it's incredible the number of technical staff who are not really concerned directly with the design will notice things because of the, the the interaction that they have with it. And in the past, my experience has been that they've been probably one of the stronger because they're they're at the at the coal face of trying to produce things with all the niggles that creep into it, that they actually do sit back and say, oh, maybe if we change something and we do something in a slightly different way, there's an immediate benefit that comes out of that. And that goes back up the tree to the people that make decisions. And that's yeah. it. It's, it's a whole team effort. Or does it go up the tree? Like that would be one of my criticisms about <laughs> innovation. Like I, I actually think 
the AEC sector at the project level is incredibly innovative because every project is a is a new challenge, if you like. And um, you know, there's a fantastic things happening at the project level, but the learnings seldom get pushed up the tree in terms of the, the learning stays with the project and you know gets buried in the 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 documents that were handed over and you know people go off and try and tackle the next challenge well you know let let's just go back to this thing about the innovation and the and the team the the most frightening part about the efficiency within the construction industry is that we spend time putting together a project team and we get all of the processes working right we get everybody aligned Things start working very well. We get to the end of the project. We do the handover. Then we disassemble the team. And how few of those teams actually continue on another project together, you know, contractually and, and because of the competitive nature, we end up reestablishing new teams with new relationships. And that immediately says to me, if we have standards across the industry that are solid, then effectively we could almost Lego block different teams together because the processes would just be so aligned. But I do think that the problem is, and, and not the problem, let's just say it's the opportunity rather, is that where we are is that we're now getting the ability for every action to feed back information. So if you've got a person who's at the executive level making decisions, like, even like a PM, making decisions. They don't make unrealistic decisions now because they're getting fed back information that previously they weren't privileged to receive because it used to take a week for the timesheets to be done. Whereas now, as the action's done, the timesheet can be fed back and you get a much more agile environment just because that's being fed. And that's that's now an innovation. You know, Mm. more information lets you make better decisions quicker. And I think it's not just the speed. And uh, to qualify this, uh, I did a, a thing for Autodesk. It was a success story. And I'd originally, this is a couple of years after I'd kicked off using Revit, and I saw a reduction of 60% of time to do certain things. And it was about six months after that that I actually re- revised that. And it's actually only about 40%. But the difference was I was providing a lot more information linked to the project that wasn't previously available, that previously had to be harvested manually all the time. So I do think that that people in decision-making positions, when they're fed information that is measurable and accurate, it will get their confidence going. And with that confidence will come that ability to absorb any of those changes and all part of the, the innovation in it. And I wanted to pick up on a point you made earlier about you know, the manufacturers providing sort of a, a package of useful information because, I mean, that typically on projects would have occurred. I mean, the manufacturers were always required to provide information, at, you know, but that typically was provided towards the end of a project you know, when you're closing it out and you're gathering all the relevant product data sheets and et cetera uh, at the end. Which, which is crazy if you think about it. You have architects and engineers at the very early stages of projects drawing and specifying and typing out schedules of information about products that are going to be used or might be used in the future two or three times. You know, so they'll describe a, a window or door in a, in a simple format at concept design stage, then they'll describe it again in a more detailed format at scheme design stage, and then they'll describe it again in more detail at the technical design stage, you know, until eventually there's enough information for somebody to go and purchase a, a window or door, install it on site, and then after all that, the contractor goes to the manufacturer and says, oh, by the way, I need your product data sheet, I need your... <laughs> your your installation manual uh, yeah, and I need this package of information and you think about all the time that designers and contractors have spent drawing information describing information uh, specifying information all of that is almost a waste of time they could have gone to the manufacturer on day one and said I think we're going to use windows in this project I think it's going to be your windows 
give me your window object, give me your <laughs> your data, and yeah, we might change it later, but if we don't, we have the information there from day one. I mean, it's you know, so we almost need to change that mindset and that process of how we assemble the digital version of of a of a building. Yeah, I think if I can kick off an, a, a reply for that, the the first part in my mind is that we actually are, are as as a architect design uh, part of the world, where we lose out is that it, the very first step is that when I put a window object in to a design, it should come with a whole bunch of performance criteria. Some of those are prescriptive that would come out in terms of the building regulations, etc., and hence would have to be uh, context sensitive around the world because of that. But if the standards are consistent across the board, the idea of populating this geometry. Now, if it came across that we start with a placeholder and we then add the additional pieces of information incrementally, or that this comes fully populated, but we only need to display the pieces of information that you require at that time. That now is saying we need to start managing the data around these things a lot better. The question about all of this is around ownership for me, because there's ownership and beneficiaries. And one of the biggest parts that I do see as a as a potential legal issue is always, well, I got it from Ralph. And Ralph says, oh, no, I didn't do it because there's now a legal aspect to it. But I think that there's a, a level of responsibility and an and, and example is about who gets what slice of the pie. So if I'm the author, the innovation says I populate things. And if I'm the manufacturer and I pass that out, it's populated as fully as is required at the end of the project. But I only need to display the pieces of information as they are relevant as we go through. But the information is on hand. And then the other part, I think we, we've heard regularly about blockchain and the kind of controls that that can provide. That starts making a lot of sense because now it's accurate. It's up to date. We're, we're living in a connected world. And that's where the innovation truly starts bringing us a whole pile of immeasurable benefits mm. well they're immeasurable at the moment but if they were measurable you could convince somebody that in fact it's the right way to do something yeah that's interesting because um, that's one of the things about the blockchain obviously is the sort of the ledger you know the sort of of transactions is is kept and is and can't be broken you know so that you can trace the source of information all the way back to where it originated. Like the, the, the analogy I would think of is if, if at the moment, if you go and book a holiday or flight or hotel room or whatever, um, whatever website you go to, your favorite booking site, the information that they're displaying isn't in their database. They're pulling information from airlines and hotels and uh, and they're just displaying it for you. Yeah, and so you could trace that back. So when you look up for a flight, you are getting information from the airline who's providing that flight through a portal or whatever. Whereas the equivalent in, in our industry is you would be downloading the Excel spreadsheets from six or seven airlines and then trying to <laughs> look at them and say, okay, which one do I want? You know, I'll use this one and you know, then you'll have to take it out and put it into your own spreadsheet because you're planning your holiday. And, you know, so that's kind of where we are in, in our industry is we, we're not connecting data. We, we, we're working with data, but it's, it's in a kind of a, a download and keep it, bring it into my environment, work with it. But now as soon as you bring it out of the original source, it's out of date. I mean, the, yeah. the airline might change their flight schedule and your spreadsheet won't reflect that. And I think, I think even worse than that. We, we've just had it with NHS and, and COVID. Somebody downloads it. They put it all on their own spreadsheet. They write their own formulas, and they don't audit their formulas. Yeah. So suddenly the figures go out, and there's 22,000 people missing out of this list. And it happens. 
how many how many projects has that happened where a spreadsheet or a database wasn't there in, in Edinburgh wasn't there a hospital recently that because of a spreadsheet error I'm pretty sure I read that recently that a yeah. major hospital in Edinburgh couldn't be opened because of a an error in a spreadsheet <laughs> so so this this is part of it I think that one of the the areas I think our innovation ultimately is going and maybe faster than a large a large number of people are prepared to accept is in compliance checking that issue about the building regulations and somebody having to pour over piles and piles of information to decide whether the uh, ob- obscurity of of the sky component or the ventilation ratios why is that that it can't be done directly from objects in the model and that the planning officer can actually say show me and because we're working so much with digital the rules based checking we know is and can be validated for being precise and the other part then is it just ties in again with the 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 horrible terms that we're starting to pick up but the golden thread it's making that av- information available so hopefully that that planning approvals would be markedly improved and improve for everybody i'm not talking about just the developer who wants to get it through as quickly as possible but that from the safety aspect from the livability the accommodation everything can can be fed in and out and we can make better decisions on you know it, it's something i discover from from living now in the uk is how small the areas are that we live in the flats and the accommodation compared to when i was in south africa we were living in you know you might as well be an oxshot in a in a, a multi-million pound building you know that's how big the areas feel like by comparison and i think i think that's where innovation really starts to potentially give us important things about people and the way we live and if you extrapolate that across all sorts from town planning and urban planning right the way through to provision of the local shop at the street corner on i need to have you know muffins delivered on a thursday otherwise i i suffer from some sort of withdrawal symptoms because i can't get breakfast <laughs> yeah and obviously for that to happen i mean i'm just going back to my analogy of the booking site but you, you know when bookings.com or one of those travago expedia they have to receive information from all these airlines hotels and you know they can't receive it in different formats because you can't have a a group of people there trying to reformat the information and and get it in because it's live i mean airline schedules and flight schedules and bookings you, you know so you, you you have to receive this information in a consistent way to, in order to display it um and make it useful to people and that means the requirements have to be set and i don't think that the planning authorities and the building control authorities realize um the the work that they have to do in setting those requirements of how they need to receive information into the planning system into the building control system in order to do those checks uh and to get that value for for buildings you know i think personally that there's you know the industry they think the industry will sort that out we'll just say well definitely in ireland you know the government says there is a mandate you will do bim but there's been nothing from the government to say well this is how you will present it to us <laughs> yeah zero uh there's it's been a bit better in the uk i suppose in 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 terms of the supports through digital build britain and uk bim alliance and things to to get people aligned but i, uh, I don't yeah, know if, if you've I seen any work at the building control or planning level in terms of specifying the requirements Look, I think that that throughout doesn't matter whether I've done submissions in South Africa or whether I've done submissions here and it the essentials are basically the same. Some of the values are slightly different in other words what what is an acceptable range of of standards or and I think that you know we can make it too complex but it does I think from an innovation point of view 
demand that we become a lot more data savvy, that it's not just a case of having a pack of paper with a set of sketches or something, but totally separate, totally disjoined, is exactly that analogy of the of the flight information. It is highly structured. And it, it's on a backbone of, of amazing technology communicating that in incredibly short times. So that, that for me is really the part that we should be embracing is looking at that and seeing how can we do it within our own industry. Um, and maybe, maybe there's an approach here. And, and regularly I've had people saying to me, well, shouldn't we just you know, why do we have BIM? Why, do, why is it called BIM? And then we get all those dis- discussions. And I said, you know, the one benefit of it having been mandated, all those countries that mandated a BIM process have all shown improvements in their industry. There are the people who have led and there are people who have lagged. But typically, you're starting to see the kinds of changes. And we live in this kind of world where I can get stuff manufactured like we do in China and it goes there digitally, gets manufactured and arrives absolutely fit for the purpose because it's that precise. And that, that really is in, in, incredible about the efficiency because we've got a limited number of uh, resources, etc. So there's a bigger picture that, that all ties us together. But it's a, it comes back to a question. And the question I've had with a large number of, of people that I've consulted with and people that I've discussed with, and they say to me, we don't want BIM. It costs too much money. And I think it's, it's part of what we're doing is actually about the approach to that innovation is actually not to say, what do you want BIM to do for you? I've actually turned this around and said, what don't you want BIM to do for you? And that moves it over to that person or that organization party to say, I don't want 3D images. I don't want this. I don't want that. But they're having to know something about it. And that doesn't mean we just say, like you've given the example there of Ireland, you, you sort it out. It's we then engage and say, we need this information. But these are the, and I use the, the, the great term, and many people have heard me talk about it. We have to peel back the onion. And our problem is that we typically don't go more than one layer down. And in fact, some of the multiple generations of data that we've got go two, three, four layers down. There are beneficiaries there that the work that I do right now will benefit somebody in work stage four, five or six and has relevance right the way through there. So it it ties in with what you said earlier about the manufacturer generates a window and it's fully populated, ready with all the information. You can just click on it and get the, the information that you need at the time that you need it. Mm. And I think that innovation is comes back to the mandating. And the UK has had that benefit of at least putting this thing in place where there's a structure. There are little things that don't work in it yet. But I think that that's, the, in a way, the exciting part. How do we embrace the other people who now are resistant to this or see it as a potential threat? That's that's just a personality thing, I think, that we need to, to address. Yeah. And of course, you're talking about benefits there. I mean, the the biggest benefit of digital data is how you can reuse it over and over again. So, I mean, if you draw, let's say you draw a drawing of a, the window we were speaking about earlier. You know, it's a collection of lines and so you've drawn it in plan and elevation and section. Uh, but it's very difficult to reuse that information in in the next project. So it's not, not impossible. You can obviously make blocks and transfer the blocks and you know, adjust them. But when you have an object, the time that you've put in to create an object, particularly if it's a parametric object, uh, you could be using for the next five projects, <laughs> you know, just adjusting it slightly um, so that that effort is reusable, and that's where the massive productivity gains come. And I think when you were saying people look at the expense of them, I think they they're looking at that in the context of a single project, as if we were going to create a model and never use it again. <laughs> yeah, 
Whereas if you think about all the effort you've put into this first model, that's going to benefit, you know, 10 projects into the, into the future. Some of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is reusable information. So your, your productivity just grows and grows and grows. Um, so, so one, one area that I <clears throat> currently have a, a niggle, a niggle is a, is a regular term I use if it, <laughs> it's just that little bit uncomfortable. And I, I think we actually, as, as an industry, we want to have that ownership over something. So we, multiple companies produce multiple families and objects of exactly the same nature, the same purpose, a window. And what we do is we then, we own that. And somebody else does exactly the same. What a, an amount of wasteful effort because that, idea of it being made parametrically and if it was structured and this is the most difficult one right now is making sure that the way the parameters work if those were uniform across the industry that would markedly change the way that everybody would work as well and this is why standardization across the industry the more stringent that becomes in fact it gives us more flexibility you know, just recently, I opened up a, a number of a, a project with a number of families of the same type, in the same category, and there were five parameters. But the wording, the, the the naming process behind the parameter name, was different in each case. And the problem with that is that if you really want to have a look at the innovation, when when you looking at a phone, when you're looking at a tablet, on an Apple or on a, you will find the same piece of information in the same position. And I, the analogy I've got to look at is the kids that can, they can sit there with one hand texting. I can't do it. I can't get the, the hand-eye coordination and the brain coordination. It just doesn't work for me. But they can sit there and type in incredibly fast because everything is in exactly the same place and they can build up that pattern and, and do it. Now, that's the kind of innovation which I see very powerful is the user interface kind of something that we need to go to other industries and say, let's borrow that and make sure that when I see something, it's in the same position for each person. Therefore, each person will be able to work more efficiently. And we're not talking about trying to grind down the, the final microseconds, but it just you see people's user comfort becomes that much greater. And I do, I think that the innovation says, if we start working conscious about all of these things, and I'm not saying that we can handle all of it at the same time, it, it, it's very complex, but there are massive benefits that come out of that. And it, it, it is, it's about ownership and, and that sharing. And I do think that the manufacturers have a very important role but right now are probably the most separate part of our group of suppliers is that we're getting totally separate stuff from any of the suppliers that we've got formal suppliers. And, I, you know, look at BIM Objects and NBS and all the rest, all doing great stuff. It's just when you put it all together, you aggregate. And that's sometimes why I go back to rebuilding my own models, mm -hmm. you know, because to me, the time saving of having all the things in the same place dependable really becomes useful. So you, you spoke about your niggles there. What, uh, what are the things that frustrate you about the AC sector and what would, where would you like to see more innovation? Like what's, what do you feel that's just not happening? It's just this particular area needs more effort, needs more consideration. Well, I'll, I'll start off. I'm a, an Autodesk user, simply because I made a, a tactical decision long, long time ago about Revit and where I saw it going, and it, it was doing great things. In hindsight, I now say, as long as you're using Revit, you and I can be friends. But if you're using any other form of authoring software, we're going to have some problems. But I think that that's starting to, to get addressed, but it it's still not going to be native enough that you and I can be on totally separate platforms and the ability to share information without losing anything, either geometry or data. 
and being able to have our own ownership and authorship capability, but by losing nothing in that process. So I can work in the tool that I feel comfortable with. You work in the tool that you work, feel comfortable with. But what we swap between us and then put out as a deliverable matches in all cases. Now, maybe that's I'm living in cloud cuckoo land, but I do see this with the number of different platforms. Let's say CDEs at the moment is that there are so many out there. And my philosophy would be we can't stop the, the capitalism, the commercialism of people developing that particular platform. But if I'm using one platform, it should be, and this is where I start to see some of the, the, the great things, like the APIs that allow me to get information out of something and use it and push information back that I couldn't do before. And that's part of the change that I really see. So that's easing my niggle. There are many stumbling blocks. There really are. But that's starting to address something which is becoming uh, much more native to me without having to do five steps to resolve it. Much more dependable. I think that probably our biggest problem is actually getting together in a collaborative form. And, and regularly I'm talking to people in terms of innovation and everything else is actually the soft skills, is working with people. And you can't make a team, and being South African, of course, and supporting rugby, rugby and rugby, is <laughs> if you could, you could just plug your, your robot team together, give the instruction, and you'd have a 100% team working together. It just doesn't work like that in reality. And so that time that it takes to build a team is something we need to really be cognizant of. And in a way, part of the, the thing reducing the niggles is mentoring. And I, I look at Mott McDonald from a construction side, this idea of cross-mentoring, taking an old guy like us, working with a young uh, apprentice or a young graduate, and getting the cross-pollination of those skills. Because we're, we're talking about a knowledge base now, not just somebody who's a tradesman. You know, I fully appreciate. I like getting a, a chisel out. I like working with wood. I've been fortunate enough to grow up in a, in a family and we've had a workshop and we've done all those things when we were kids. And so I, I fully appreciate the trade and I fully appreciate the automation that can make things just simply get popped out. And I think that that interaction between people is now where we start sharing that knowledge base. So if that was a niggle, is that currently we don't share enough? Mm. And sharing is part of that commercial benefit. It's part of my market differentiator compared to you. And that's where we're competing. But in fact, in fact, if we compete and we've got the same components, where can we start adding additional value? And that's, as, as an architect, I, I do believe that's one thing that we've lost. And I'm not, you and I have spoken about it before, but I'm not going to use the term on, on the podcast. But Basically, I've gone through four downturns in the economy in my lifetime. This is the fourth one, and it, it's got a big knock on. And part of that is that every time we cut our fees, cut our fees. Now, as we make, according to BIM and innovation, we make things more efficient. There's a demand that we cut our fees. But I'm a very strong advocate of there's a fair fee. And if I cut my fee too low, I cut the corners and then we end up with Grenfell Tower, my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've got to look at the added value that we put in. And that's my niggle. How much can I put back as added value at very little cost to myself? And I think that comes into the whole digital world is that we can add that value with immense benefits to everybody involved in that project. Yeah, very good. And just maybe just one last thing before we end off. Um, what's got you really excited uh, you know, about the industry at the moment? What's getting you out of bed and you know, what are you really happy? You know, like what's innovation is exciting you at the moment? I really enjoy some of the forums that I've got 
available and people that I've now picked up recently as, as colleagues and friends in the last year and a half where we're actually discussing in a candid and honest way the differences between their approach to something and my approach. And as a result, it's opening a, a number of different doors. So it's, it's sort of an, a period of enlightenment, if I can put it there, that suddenly there's, there's a lot of people with aligned views and that are looking at different sets of constraints. But I think that the technology that ultimately is starting to, to get together is I've engaged with a couple of contractors and expressed to them my, my opinion is that the, the sooner that a contractor can get engaged with the project team, that will markedly reduce the need for value engineering and would, would mean that we're doing something once and developing it, but doing it once correctly benefit of the whole project and that that is something i think that the 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 interface of working is what gets me up in the morning i think that we we associate and we we really get some great discussions taking place the results are slowly being seen it's not something that you can turn the wheel on the ship and it just changes direction fantastic well, we've come up to the hour, Pierre, so I mean, I think we could probably talk for another hour <laughs> if we want. We it's, been, it's been fascinating um, talking to you and, and listening to your, your view on things. And um, just uh, any final words from you, John? I'd just like to thank Pierre for his time today, and I wish you all the best in your uh, innovation journey and look forward to following up with you in future podcasts. Absolute pleasure. It's a Friday. Time to go and have a beer afterwards. But thanks very much for the invite.